Hello and welcome to the Car Trade Revisited, the podcast where we talk about our industry and why we love it so much. I'm Gordon McLeish. I've spent over five decades in the trade. In the coming episodes, I'll try to inform, entertain and remind you of the things that you've probably forgotten, the things that make us all caries. So come along and join me on my nostalgic journey. Hi, and welcome back. I promised in my previous podcast that I would cover the mini car revolution in this episode, and I will. But first, I need to do a touch more fleshing out of my journey back into the trade. After the briefest of all breaks, after settling the sale of the pub, I found myself in the used car department at Whitehorse Motors in Nutterwadding, where I once was a client, but now an employee selling a car brand, well, I'd come to admire and I actually liked. There's nothing like selling a product that you truly believe in. Just witness whenever you go somewhere and somebody's selling you something, the feeling you get when you think, well, this person really believes that it's the best uh, product that uh, you could buy and yeah, maybe I should listen to them a bit more because I seem to know what they're doing. The enthusiasm washes over the sale. So there's nothing like selling a product that you truly do believe in. Well, I think so. It, it was a Saturday morning and I was settling in, setting up my desk, collecting pens, pencils, staplers, sales agreements, order pad, all the shit that you need to sign up a customer when I was handed a beautifully produced roster. Was it a roster of the days off or one for the hours that we were going to work in the yard? No, it wasn't. It was a roster of who went up the street at 10am and collected and paid for the party pies and sausage rolls each Saturday morning for the sales team's coffee break. Last on, first on the list, I was later found out from the used car manager Dick Sampson, Dick was a very funny guy. He came to Australia from the Dutch West Indies or the Dutch Indonesian area after the Troubles. The Dutch left the region. He spoke with a very strong Dutch accent, but I believe he never lived in Holland. I can stand correctly if that's not so, but I think it might be. It was a standing order for party pies, sausage rolls, all at the nearby bakery. So here I was. I hadn't struck a blow, hadn't earned a cent, but I was out of pocket 30 bucks. Of the two Swedish car manufacturers, Volvo and Saab, the former, Volvo, made the most impact on the Australian car market in the 1970s, thanks to its highly successful 144 sedans, 145 wagons, and the more powerful 164 sedan. The 144 series, which I owned, and also the 164, enjoyed a good reputation as a staid, conventional, very reliable, very safe, boxy motor vehicle. The arch-typical doctor's car. A reputa- we got a lot of doctors by them. A reputation that passed over onto Volvo drivers in general, who are also labelled as being staid, conventional, safe, slow drivers. Until the arrival of the first Saab 99s, Saabs were viewed as oddities in the Australian driving public in much the same way as Citroëns were. It took a decade and the introduction of the incredible sporty Saab 99 Turbo and the convertible to turn that perception around. So Volvo flew the flag for Sweden in Oz for decades to come. 
Was it just by chance that it was around the same time that I joined the team at Volvo? Hmm. Anyway, its sales were on the way up and I was riding its success. Volkswagen had built a plant in Clayton, which is in Victoria, in 1960. And it built Beetles there, little VW Beetles, and continued their production through the 70s. By the end of the decade, and after several facelifts, the lovable Beetle had passed its use-by date and production ceased. And Volkswagen sold its Clayton plant to Nissan. and became fully importing its Passats and its Golf cars and its little Audi Fox, which I love, the four-door square-back version, even the Mark I Passats. They're all fully imported. Which brings me back to the mini-car revolution. And if we go and start, say, with Toyota... The Corolla name was the second oldest in the Toyota stable and was following the Land Cruiser. And while never an exciting drive, with over 35 million Corollas sold worldwide, they were doing something right. It's become the most popular car line in history. The first generation Corolla was introduced in 68, believe it or not, and Toyota quickly recognised the need for a small car to make the Corolla not too small, because up until then they were like little wind-up cars, and they needed the Corolla to be a little bit larger, and they endowed it with a little bit more power. Thus, the second-generation Corolla arrived in the 70s, with its wheelbase sort of stretched and power coming from a, a 1.2-litre version of an overhead valve four-cylinder. And the third generation, which is when I started getting involved with Toyota through the Whitehorse Motors business, Third generation were released in 75 and they features like um, a raised centre section in the grill carried back, a more angular body. And there was um, a total of five Corolla models available, they're, they're including two and four-door sedans and a little two-door coupe, which is quite sexy, and an SR5 Sport. Well, Corolla can be sexy. Well, it was sort of sexy. SR5 Sports, I remember them, and the five-door station wagon, which then later on got added to as a, a pseudo little panel van um, and with the new chassis the 1979 Corolla was more sophisticated and a more satisfying car than that earlier Corolla but first released in 1957 was the larger Toyota the original shovel-nosed Toyota Corona which is Latin for crown they used to tell us crown god it was a Crown was a big, ugly, lumbering, taxi sort of vehicle that they tried to flog here as a, an executive car. Gee whiz. Um, anyway, they had all the tricky stuff in them, but they just were so boring. They were more boring than a Volvo. The Mark II was released in 64, and it had a lot of mechanical improvements than the original 57 model, but the Corona T100 series came out in 74. It was built as a four-door sedan and a, a two-door hardtop coupe that we didn't quite see here as a two-door Corona. Um, and a, a four-door, well, there was an imported liftback sort of one, and they, they had a four-door wagon. It was this model that established the Corona's dominance in the mid-four-cylinder market in Australia. Introduced in Japan in 78 was the next-generation T130 series Coronas, and they featured a more boxy design with more elegant lines and four-door sedans, four-door wagons, a two-door hardtop coupe and a new five-door liftback, which that was sexy. I loved that. One of my mates bought one of them. Um, and they came in 1.6 uh, and 2-litre engines, but the 2-litre engines, the 
I think they were the 18R engine. It was fantastic, a lot of power. And to prove that they meant business here in Australia, Toyota built a, an assembly plant at Altona, which is in Victoria, and they began the production of the Toyota Corona engines there in, I think, 78. And, you know, it, it replaced what was really an ad hoc group of old buildings down in Port Melbourne that were built by AMI in the, in the days when they assembled all sorts of things, Triumph Heralds and Vanguards and all sorts of oddities. They just couldn't continue putting together Toyotas in that way. So they, they said, like, we're here to stay. And by 78, they opened up the plant at Altona and full steam ahead. And I'll touch on later on why we're spending so much time on the Toyota product, but it does segue into what happened to me at Whitehorse Motors when they started developing two Toyota dealerships, one in Lilydale and one in Croydon. But um, the addition also was a, a Toyota Crusader, like a six-cylinder mid-size vehicle. It was sort of high-end luxury sedan that they introduced in 73. And it was quite a sexy car. You know, I used to think my Toyotas um, were bland cars like Volvos. But when I first drove a Crusader, I thought, whoa, you know, this has got a lot of power, this thing. And they first exported them to Australia in its second generation in 77. Um, and it was sort of a replacement for the Corona Mark II, which is quite a nice car. It was fully imported, but... I met a guy who had the Corona Mark II and had a six-cylinder engine in it, which surprised me. And I think he was the president of the Croydon Golf Club and um, it was sort of the star attraction car. Every time he took someone for a drive in it, they went, wow, what's that? And it was just a Toyota. The same chassis with slightly different bodies were available in other countries as the Mark II, um, the Toyota Chaser, I think that was in America, and the Toyota Cresta, I think that was in England. And the Crusader name was retired, believe it or not, in 1992. But the chassis and the Mark II, the Chaser, the Crestor names continued in production, uh, I think, in Japan to about 2000. Because of its luxurious characteristics, by the way, the, the Crusader is often said to be the vehicle that provided the inspiration for the Lexus brand. It certainly wasn't the Toyota Crown. So in a... Episodes to come, it'll make more sense while I'm while I'm talking about Toyota in the same breath as Volvo. So with all that to come, I settled down and started selling secondhand Volvos. No, not new. I didn't sell a new Volvo, and I really had a, a ball. It it was a great reintroduction to the car trade. Uh, the people that bought Volvos were a bit different to. The people that bought second-hand Holdens from Bill Patterson Motors those years earlier. But the characters that I work with, from Noel Cheney, from um, Ron Cantor, um, a very Carlos Von Jager. Now, there's a guy. Carlos was a salesman in used cars who appeared one day, and he sort of looked very Dutch. I know it sounded a bit, sound like I'm talking about Dutch people all the time, but... Carlos turned up wearing a pair of clogs and um, there was a day when body shirts were in and tight pants with bell bottoms and he had these little John Lennon glasses on and half bald but a, a stylish sort of haircut and um, he was you know, reputed to be the salesman of the century and he was the catch of the century and he worked for us for about a year and, and oh the fun he had I, I just laughed every day I'd come into work and I'd ask him what was his exploits for the weekend and 
probably in his 40s, but he always had an 18-year-old girl hanging off his arm. And one day, he actually was sitting there, and it was his birthday, I think, and in walks this blonde. Oh, she was just straight out of central casting. And she had uh, a little maid's outfit on and a wicker basket. And she came up to his desk, which was behind mine, and um, she flicked out a checkered blue and white um, tablecloth and put it on his desk and uh, brought out this little basket and had little pieces of chicken and all sorts of savouries and things and some baguettes and she had a little bottle of baby champagne and a couple of glasses and she had bibs for him to wear and serviettes and she sat down and served him his lunch at his desk and then just left and I said, who was that? He said, I don't know, somebody I met last week, I just mentioned it was my birthday and well, that was nice. Then was the then there was the lunatic. Um, look, if I can remember his name, I think it was Rob, uh, Bob or Barry. He was the car cleaner. And back in those days, if somebody wanted to buy a car, that you know, it was difficult to choose the trim. It either was the trim that came with the colour, and that was it. But with Volvos, you could order like um, velour, blue velour. And you could order leather, which was either black leather or black, like a tan black. And sometimes they arrived and you know, the colours didn't quite match the um, the interior. You, know, you got a silver car with brown interior, that was all right. But sometimes the silver would arrive with blue velour. Or a yellow car would arrive, a yellow Volvo with blue velour trim. And you go, oh my God, we're never going to sell that. But because of production problems at uh, Clayton, it was like as the car came up and if the wrong seats and interior were there, they just stuck it in the car and just kept the production light going. So we were forever doing trim swaps where you took the seats out, you took the door cards off. Um, the dashboards were all black, but the floor carpets were matching the um, the seats. So you had blue seats, blue carpets and blue door trims. You might have got a car that was yellow that should have had brown in it, you know, to help sell it. And you might have had um, a silver car that somebody said, oh, I'd buy that, but I don't like the interior. So you put them side by side and you do a trim swap. And we didn't do it during the week because they didn't let us do that because if, if your service manager booked it out, you know, the service manager, Ned Kelly, you know, he used a gun and a hanky. The service manager just used a biro and an invoice uh, to rob you. You'd say, well, can you do a trim swap? you say, oh, $700. you go, look, $700. So you'd sling the cleaner 50 bucks and get him to come in on Saturday and he'd do a trim swap, which this lunatic, I shouldn't say that, he's probably listening to this. Anyway, this wonderful cleaner that we had, detailer cleaner, uh, he loved doing it, and one day he came, it was a stinking hot day, 35, 40 degrees, and he was down in the basement, and he's come up about lunchtime, and he said, hi guys, he said, I'm nearly there, um, what are you having for lunch, and he's picked up some of the cold party pies and sausage rolls, and he's a bit of a magpie or a seagull, and um, had a drink of water, he's sweating like a pig, and then he's gone back down, I've walked down behind him and said, how's it going? And there's these two cars in the basement, and he's got everything out of the inside of one and everything out the inside of the other, and all the seats and all the carpets are sitting up on the roof of the car. And I said, well, that's pretty well organised. He's taken the trim out of one and put it on the roof of the other one and taken the trim of the one on the right and put it on the roof of the one on the left. 
And all he had to do was put it all back together. He said, a couple of hours will all be done. Thank you. So I go down about two hours later, about two o'clock, I past two. And bloody hell, the silver car has still got the same trim in it. And the yellow car next to it's got the same trim in it. The imbecile, sorry, I shouldn't say that. The wonderful person has taken the trim out of the cars and then he's put the trims back in the same cars. I've gone, God, this car's going out in about two hours' time. Customers coming around, what are we going to do? Oh, sorry, 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 he's gone. I I fell asleep after lunch and I forgot what I'd done. I'll fix it, I'll fix it. I'll go down about an hour later. He's tearing the carpets out because he'd bolted it all back in. The seats were all bolted in. He's tearing it out and he's ripped all the carpet and he's got double-sided tape. He's sticking tape, sticking anything, putting it all back together. He's boring drill holes through the floor of a Volvo. And, uh, oh, my God, the mess. Anyway, 5 o'clock, in comes the customer, presenting with his car. He drives off. Monday morning, the car with the right trim, the yellow one with the nice brown trim in it, it's now sold because the customer came in and said, yep, that'll do me. Bloody cleaner. He, you know, he was an imbecile. He was so bad that that following Christmas, we invited the cleaners in because we felt sorry for him on a hot day to have a few drinks at the Christmas party. And he put his head through the wall of the boardroom just for something to do because he was bored. <laughs> lovely guy. And before I finish, I've got to talk about the lovely Dick Sampson. God bless him. He's not with us anymore. But his. Um, Advertising was wonderful. When you listen to him ring Shirley, I think it was Shirley at the age, he would ring it up. Hello, this is for um, Dick Sampson from Whitehorse Motors. Are you with me? And the girl go, yeah, Dick, yeah, I know it's you. You want to put some ads in? Yes, yes, I'm putting for some adverts into the age for Saturday. Are you with me? Saturday. Uh, I have one here. Volvo is uh, rat grey with contrasting rat grey trim. It's a ball biter. <laughs> Dick, you can't say that. Why not? It is. A... No, you can't say that, Dick. All oh, right. Well, it. Um, let me see. It has interfering wipers. She said interfering wipers. I'm going. What's it? What's an interfering? Interfering wipers. Oh no, you're right. Intermittent wipers. It has under dash steering wheel. Under dash steering wheel. What's that mean, Dick? Well, it's uh, a safety thing. Is under dash steering wheel, and interrogated air conditioning. <laughs> I've got Dick. It's not interrogated. Yes, it is. He said. Said no. It's integrated. Well, same thing. Same thing. I loved him every day, and he'd turn around after all of that. And he'd just wink at me, and I think. You were kidding me on. I thought you were fair, Dinkum. There you go. There's something to close on. A few more things uh, in the next podcast, and we'll get a bit more serious then. But until then, thank you for listening. Before I go, I'd also like to remind you that I have a website now, www.gordonmcleish.com, and you'll find some uh, photos, some diagrams, some funny memes, and... uh, a link to some of these podcasts as well as photos um, of adverts that people have uh, been posting and 
just some general bits and pieces that might be of interest to you. So that's www.gordonmcleish.com. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review or subscribe to or follow this podcast on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Gordon McLeish, and thank you for listening. The Car Trade Revisited and its associated GordonMcLeish.com website has been compiled from a multitude of resources. Most of the the editorial copy has been written by me over a number of decades and draws on my experiences when working in the auto industry in Australia and visiting its regions and towns and cities. Information provided and distributed by others has been added to my material. So as I give a more complete picture of what each decade has to offer to the listener, This was done over a period of time initially for my own personal use and long before the decision was made to share my research with anyone interested in it via the medium of a podcast like this or even on the internet. I do not claim ownership of this additional material and it is published here for the benefit of the listener only and not for my personal gain or credit. Should this be considered as unauthorised use of any of the material, I'm happy to remove it or credit the source of the owner, or mention the owner, if this has not already been done. I researched a lot of the finer detail from manufacturers and distributors' websites, from wikipedia.com and australiaforeveryone.com.